Hey everyone, I'm Kyle Smith and you're listening to Solving for B with Brand Extract. So this is the place where we cover all things branding and marketing, digging into what it takes to build brands people believe in. So with us, I've got our Director of Digital Marketing, Chris Wilkes on hand, and our guest on today's episode is football logo designer, Chris Payne, who's worked with clubs across the world to develop their brands and visual identities. So, hey, Chris, thanks so much for doing this. I'm really, really excited to talk to you and for our audience to hear from you as well. So let's dive in and, and start with your backstory. Give us the two to three minute version of, of where you came from all the way up to launching uh, your company, Football Brand Designer. Um, as you probably already starting to gather from the accent, I am, um, I'm from England. I'm from a small little place called Derby in England, not very famous, but we do have a really bad football team um, of whom I'm, of who I support, which is unfortunate because it's a roller coaster of emotions supporting Derby. But um, yeah, I grew up um, in Derby, went to university in London, which was really nice, um, studied graphic design and advertising in London, always been a massive football fan. And, and when I say football, I obviously mean soccer. And so um, that's always been installed in me from an early age. And then, and then when, when I realized that I wasn't going to become a professional footballer, because that was the big dream, like everybody, when I realized that, you know, I got some skills, but probably not enough skills. Um, I then had to think, oh, well, what am I going to do with my life? What, what's going to, what, how I'm going to make some money. And that's when graphic design kicked in. And that's when um, the whole, like the, the, the love of being creative and, and the passion for creating interesting visuals and telling interesting stories and um, helping organizations grow through design. And so, and so, yeah, I've, I was, I've been a graphic designer for about 15 years. And then um, in the past five years, I've really focused on graphic design in the sports industry in particularly football slash soccer. Awesome to see that you're channeling that passion in the industry in, in just a little bit different way. So I'd love to chat about your process for, for branding. You did the recent launch of the club in my hometown, Rochester, New York, uh, Flower City Union. Got a really, really positive response from the community. I'm really excited to see it on the kits and everything when the club actually plays its first match, I think 2022. What's your typical process for where you start when you develop these brands or rebrand talk us talk us through uh, what you typically go through well it depends because each club is different obviously um you're dealing with different owners different um fan bases different communities and then also i work with a lot of teams in england but also teams here in america as well and so typically with teams in england it's not a new team that's starting up it's usually a rebrand of a of a football club that has had a logo or a design for for probably about 100 years, typically, because there, there's a lot of older teams in England who are, who are now realizing that, hey, we're falling behind. We need to kind of catch up on our branding. Um, what our, our logo, it obviously means a lot to the club, but does it work? Is it practical in today's digital world? Uh, and a lot of them come to the conclusion that it doesn't. And so they look to simplify, but they still want to retain a lot of that history uh, that the club has, 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 has gathered over the years. So with English clubs, it's more of a rebrand. So it's just a bit of a, um, a different approach. With clubs in America who are, who are typically starting up and they're at the, at the very start of their journey, it's, it's a different approach because there's not the, um, the football history. There's the history of the town or the history of the city and the history of the community, which should always be incorporated. But 
It's just a slightly different approach. But one thing that is consistent across both approaches is that it's always rooted in conversations. It's always um, rooted in conversations between, well, I'd say conversations, but it's these three parties who are involved, especially initially and all the way throughout, actually. So you have um, the owners of the club or the directors of the club. Um, so a, a, a big conversation happens with them. It's about understanding their vision for the club, what they want to do with it, um, which direction they want to go, some kind of these questions about the, the tone of the club, the, just really getting to understand what the vision is from the owner's perspective. The second party that's involved is the, uh, the fan base. Um, existing fans or new fans, this, this is kind of like the, the big group of people who you also have to please. So you have to please the owners, obviously, uh, but you also have to please the fans and make sure that you're giving them something that they can have a, a, an emotional attachment with. And then um, the third party is the designer himself, which in, 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 most, in some cases is me, right? So um, with that, it's all about the, the designer's experience and his preferences and his, um, his aesthetic choices and, and knowledge and, and knowing what works and what doesn't work. So um, those three parties have to come together. And then, and, and then a lot of conversations happen to really kickstart the process. And, and I, I think it's really interesting, Chris, like with the background, with the backdrop of what we saw over the weekend with, with at New Manchester of, yeah. of whenever ownership and, and the fan base are completely, um, you know, on opposite sides of the spectrum about what's important. So I, it's great, I think, that you get the perspective of the fan base. Because uh, one thing that we say here and that we always, you know, we, we convey to our clients and anybody who listen to us is that, um, you know, you don't really own your brand, you manage it. If you're the owner of the company of the, you know, of the, of the, the club, um, you, you don't, I mean, yes, you are the owner of the club, but you, you really are managing the brand because the, the brand exists in that relationship between the fans, even on a one-on-one -on -one level, what that brand means to those supporters at United, uh, obviously, you know, it, we can debate the, the merits of how they went about it, but there was a lot of passion behind uh, what, you know, what they were, were, were wanted to see and, and felt was not being heard by ownership. So I think it's a great approach and, you know, it's glad, glad to know that you're taking that all into consideration. Yeah, I think, I think that comes a lot because of um, growing up in a football family, you know, like I'm a big football fan, so I feel it. It's an emotional thing. With football, um, you're selling emotions more than anything. People want to be a part of something. They want to be part of a movement. They want to enjoy the highs and the lows. Um, well, probably not enjoy the lows, but, you know, <laughs> get through the lows. And there's, you know, it's, we're all in this together type thing. And then, and then when the highs do come, like celebrate it. So um, it's a very uh, emotionally charged industry. And, and I think that's a, that's a part of the reason why I got into it, actually. So. Yeah. And, and people identify so much to that point, their identity in a lot of cases is tied to this brand. You know, they, you know, how many, how many tattoos have you seen of crests of clubs and, you know, people wearing, you know, head to toe decked out in certain gear. Um, I know from my own sports fandom, soccer, football, baseball, whatever it is, you know, whenever, whenever someone kind of attacks your team or, or puts down your team, there's a, there's a, 
you know, a, a resistance or so, there's some sort of emotional charge that goes through you that you're going to defend your team because you have that emotional connection. And that's what a good brand does. Yeah. And, and your brand being your reputation. I want to dig into to how you how you discover that though, like part of your process, Chris, when you, when you, how do you, how do you talk to the fans? What's part of your research process to, to tap into that in a discovery? That's part of our process, having, uh, doing, um, interviews with customers. Do you do focus groups? What's part of your, your research so that you can tap into those, those fans and those emotions? I guess you could frame them as, as focus groups, but I think the, I like to call them more listening sessions because it's, um, it's a session where we speak to various people within the community where the, uh, the football club is located, right? And then we, um, it's probably about an hour's conversation. Sometimes it's one-on-one, sometimes it's in a group. And we ask them just a variety of questions, right? And uh, we show them symbols and we, we dig into kind of what they like, what they don't like, what resonates, what they hate as well, stuff, stuff like that. Um, uh, and we do this over and over again, um, asking them why they're proud of the place where they come from, what they feel best represents the place that they come from, what are the people like. And then we also, uh, we balance that out against data as well, because in some cases, a lot of the clubs I work with have some uh, some data and have some ideas towards what their um, their target audience may be or what, what they presume their um, their their target fan could be. Sometimes it's surprises along the way. Um, but yeah, we, we have these listening sessions for about an hour long and then over time, we probably, we probably do about between 10, 20 of these with a very diverse group, um, sorry, diverse groups. So it could be like the, the local, local soccer teams in the area or people who have, have an interest in, in soccer. It could be season ticket deposit holders. It could be lifelong fans. If for example, it's a, a, a team who's going for a rebrand. Um, and then over time, what happens is you start to get a little bit of, of consistency in the answers. So the first listening session is like, oh, wow, it's a little bit overwhelming, actually, because you get like so many different answers. It's like, OK, I like this. And then another person would say, oh, if it is a group setting, we'll say no, but I like this. And then it's like, there's, there's so many answers coming in. Then the more you do it and the more you speak to people and the more you dig in, you start to see a little bit of um, consistency in the answers. And that's when you know okay, all right, well, we could build a brand around this, right? Uh, we can ask some questions, not super direct questions, but open-ended questions where we can find out, you know, if it's a new club and new colors are going to have to be chosen, what are those colors? We don't ask exactly directly what it would be, but it's like, you know, this, um, we can say, when you think of your hometown, what colors do you think of? Things like that. And we can really get under the surface of, of what people's feelings are um, towards certain aspects of, of, of what could make a, a compelling brand. And, and that popped up in the, the launch video that you put together for, again, Flower City Union, uh, recording some of the Zoom conversations, I think, with, with fans and lilac, lilac, lilac being yeah. a, a color that was pretty constantly mentioned. And it led to, you know, I, I think the final design, which, again, looks, looks really, really good. I want to go back to what you mentioned earlier about you know, going in and, and seeing some of these historic clubs realize they need to update their visual identities for a digital age. Yeah. Why, how do you consult them and why is a cohesive visual identity important for a club in the sports world or for any business? I think it goes back to trust. 
I think um, having a consistency with your brand um, shows that you are an organization that can be trusted. It's the, it's the same voice speaking to you every time. Um, over time, you get brand recognition and, and you, get, you can get really, really good when you take the logo or the crest out of one of your assets, but you still know which, which club it represents. And um, there's a few clubs you can do that, like Manchester United can probably do that, right? You could probably take, you could probably put a shirt out there, which is uh, red, white, and black, and you'll probably instantly associate it with Manchester United. So that's, you know, but that's been done. That, that exists because of years of consistency, right? Um, a lot of clubs who I consult with and I work with, especially from England, they're coming from a hundred years of history and not too much brand management up until recently because that's just the way, the way it's been. Like they, they usually have a very inconsistent uh, style, lots of different visual elements. One week they're using one typography, the next week they're using another one. Um, and so it's not the same voice and it's not the same um, level of, of consistency. And so, the end, I, I, the fan, you know, the fans will always be fans. They'll have that emotional connection. But when it comes to um, targeting outside the, the fan group, such as sponsors or, or business partners, you really want to show yourself as being that kind of that consistent, that uh, that brand conscious football club, uh, because it, it helps. It helps with the trust. It helps with the organisation. And also, a little secret for you which you guys will know, but it's also very practical as well. If you're consistent, it's practical. So you can create assets faster. You can put more content out there. You don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. Um, th there's a moment where you can be a little bit outside of the box, but, but generally you can be very um, efficient with your assets and you can, you can continue with a, um, a very cohesive style and, and, and look and feel. And, and so, yeah, you get, you're able to put more assets out there. You're able to do it faster and it's consistent and, and your brand just looks better for it. Is there one mistake that you see clubs consistently make in terms of managing their visual identity or their brand? Do you come in and, and you, you pretty consistently see, hey, you need to address this issue? Pretty much, yeah, there is uh, a couple of things, um, especially when uh, clubs are going through a rebrand and that's going to change the club's crest or logo. Um, typically there is an urge or kind of an instinct to, to say, Hey, let's put everything, let's put every single meaning that we can think of within, within the logo, you know, let's have this because it represents this part of the city, or let's have this because it represents that part of the city. And, um, you try and get all this hidden meaning in there and all these like little Easter eggs in there. But I would say that that's probably the wrong approach. And I get where it comes from. You really want to please everybody, but ultimately you'll end up uh, pleasing nobody because it will look overcrowded and it won't be memorable it, it stands little chance of being iconic as the years go by um so i always come in and i say look it's all about simplicity um resist the urge to have everything within the the design of the logo because the logo i mean it's a canvas it's super small it's really small and when you look at it on social media where it's going to be seen probably the most it's even smaller so you really want to um Resist the urge to include everything within, within the design of the logo, but you can have those additional elements within the wider brand. 
right? So you can reference a certain thing in the brand pattern or in some uh, club imagery or in a secondary mark or in, in other areas within the brand. But within the logo, keep it super simple, right? Um, have a single point of focus. Make sure some clubs uh, don't even want typography within their, their logo. And I kind of say, look, especially if you're a new club and you're trying to get established, you really want your name front and center because people want to see it and build up that um, that, that brand recognition. They will see the symbol, uh, but they, they really need to know who it represents. So, yeah, that's one of the things which I consistently see. Um, and I get where it comes from, but yeah, that's probably one of the biggest challenges in going through the process. It's like knowing what to leave out as opposed to what to put in. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, uh, uh, there, there's so much symbolism that you could include, and it sounds like there's there's a lot of clamoring for that. But at the end of the day, less is more. I'd love to talk about uh, like a mini case study walking through. It could be the launch uh, in Rochester. I know that was a particular, that's a brand new club that's starting something from scratch or uh, another process where you, you guided a club, historic club through a rebrand. Could you walk us through a, a specific case and, and some of that process and the, the end result? I'll talk about Rochester because it's obviously uh, near and dear to your heart. So, um, and that is fairly recent. Um, and I'm very proud of it. Um, so the, the process was, I actually worked with another team who play in the same league who are also in New York, but in uh, Manhattan called New Amsterdam. All right. And so they, uh, the, the ownership group at Rochester knew me because of my work that I did at New Amsterdam, which is a completely different brand with a completely different vibe. Um, for example, New Amsterdam has got like this kind of like anti-establishment kind of a uh, little bit edgy urban style brand and then ultimately what we did with flower city union it's um it's a lot more kind of optimistic right it's it's um, inclusive and it's um, it just takes on a very different different vibe um so so flower city union they knew me because of uh, what i had previously done in the space um and so we, we, we set up a, um, a number of meetings just to discuss my process, to talk a little bit about um, how my approach would be, all that kind of stuff. And so once, once everything was agreed and they, they, uh, they chose me as, as the person to partner with for their, for their brand, um, I obviously had a mini celebration because I was very, very happy to, to work with these guys because they, they are really, really nice people. But then we uh, went through the process of the listening sessions so it's always, this is a new club, so it's a blank piece of paper. And um, I like it that I've got, I've got some knowledge from what I hear from the ownership group. And I, I understand their vision and I want to execute on their vision. But it's also important that I'm listening to the fans and I'm listening to the community. Um, so we set up a, a series of listening sessions, probably about 20 in total, various different groups. We... Um, I asked a, a number of different questions, uh, but within each listening session the questions were the same so that I could kind of almost not not turn it into data but definitely see what answers were trending and so throughout that process um, I found out many things about Rochester one of the things that and you'll know about this is uh, garbage plates I learned about that <laughs> I have a feeling you were going to mention that Chris Chris has just been craving he, uh, he's heard about this for two years now and at one point I'm either going to bring one down for you or whip one up. But uh, yeah, not a delicacy, right? Up in Rochester. That's what I hear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. 
probably not so delicate from what I hear, but um, yeah, they tell me that I got to get a few Jenny beers and I got to, um, I got to, I got to try a garbage plate. So in fact, can I show you something? Absolutely. It's very important to the process. I'm just going to leave just for one second and I'll be back. Yeah, sure. This is, uh, this is very important to the process. So this is the local beer from Rochester and I learned very early on in a lot of the, um, the listening sessions that um, Genesee, Genesee beer is something that the local community are very proud of. And I live, in, I live in California and it's very difficult to get this. So I had to pay a lot of money for this to come my way, but it was definitely worth it because this helps in the creative process and in the research process, let's say. And so, yeah, so that was one of the things that was mentioned, uh, Jenny beer, garbage plates. And then over time, I kept on hearing all these mentions of um, Rochester being a very like, festival city. There's lots of festivals, loads and loads of festivals happening all the time. And the biggest one um, is the Lilac Festival, which I'm sure Kyle won't be news to you. And so I digged into this a little bit more. Um, I, I learned about Lilacs. Um, Rochester is a place where Lilacs flourish. And so I was very intrigued by this whole Lilac theme. And then obviously the name, Flower City Union, that was already decided before I came into the process. So I, in the back of my mind, I knew with a name like Flower City Union, it would be odd to have anything other than a flower as, uh, as the single point of focus for the brand. And so the question was quickly, quickly like which flower and lilac um, was the very obvious choice. So um, not super challenging in terms of thinking of what that, that, that symbol would be. Um, I also learned that Rochester is a cold place, very cold most of the time, most of the year. But when the flowers start to bloom and start to blossom, Rochester becomes like a little bit of a happy place. There's a lot of optimism around because the cold days are gone and, and the good times are coming because the flowers are out, the festivals can start, people can start having a few jennies uh, by the river, you know. Um, so that was an interesting thing. I like the optimism that um, a budding flower brings. So I wanted to incorporate that into the identity as well. And so with all this information, it probably takes around about mm, two months to get to get all of the um, the listening sessions done. But then while you're doing it, you're sketching, you're experimenting with ideas, you're looking at um, shape hierarchy. Like if we are to go for this lilac as, as the center point of the design, then what does the typography look like? Is it wrapped around? Is it a shield shape? Is it on top and then the lilacs on the bottom? So you're assessing all of these things and. I, I, I don't go straight to the computer. I always use um, a, a pen and a piece of paper so I can make some very, very quick designs and, and make some good designs, but also make some bad designs and move on really fast from them. Um, so I, I do all that. And then once I find one which has got a lot of potential, I, I, I'm like, I'm digging it. And I like the fact that it's got a good hierarchy. It's simple. Um, it's got a good symmetry. I always try and have symmetry within the design. I think that's important for uh, football club branding. I then move on to the computer and digitize it and go through the process of making sure that it's um, as perfect as it can be. Um, and that could probably typically take uh, three weeks to a month, um, lots of experimentation. And then beyond that, you're kind of looking at, okay, so this looks great as a standalone design, a standalone logo. You get to the point where you're fairly happy with it, but then you have to test it and you have to see what it looks like when it's like really small as like a, um, an icon on social media or massive as a, like a signage outside the stadium. 
how does it look on um, merchandising? Because obviously this is a football club. Fans are going to want to buy the merchandising. Um, does it look good on hats? Does it look good on T-shirts, on hoodies? You also think about the typography that you choose. Can that be extended beyond the, the, the logo and used in the wider brand um, for, for banner ads, for advertising campaigns, for um, typography on merchandise? Like how extendable could the brand be? Because you want to um, have the, the logo, obviously, as the, the, the principal identity. But then just below that, you want to have maybe a secondary mark or you want to have typography that can extend or you want the colors to obviously be a big part of the story as well. Um, and then also looking at brand patterns as well, which is something that um, a, lot of, a lot of clubs might not initially think of. But I think it's always advantageous to have a brand pattern, which is derived from the um, the principal crest. So in the case of Flower City Union, we created this brand pattern, which is, we created a couple of brand patterns actually, but uh, one of the main ones that is using at the minute is the, um, the shape of the lilac and it's just repeated over and over again. It just adds like a little bit of a subtle texture. And so this goes back to what I was saying earlier about being practical with your brand because Flower City Union have all these assets. They have this, this typography, which is strong, and recognizable. They have the flower design, which is strong and, and recognizable. And now they have this, um, this this brand pattern and you can put them all together in pretty much um, most formations and it will look good and it will be consistent. And so what that leads to is um, efficiency. So you can, you can create assets faster and they all uh, look good and they're on brand and they're consistent. So, so who stands out to you in the, in the American, we'll start with soccer landscape. Uh, in terms of having a really strong visual identity coupled with brand experience, because the brand goes beyond any visual identity. Like you said earlier, it, it's a key part of building that trust though, because it's so cons- the experience is so consistent over time. Is yeah. there any club that stands out to you um, at the moment doing a really good job of that? Um, I'm really a big admirer of uh, Nashville Soccer Club. And it, when they launched their their new identity, it was fairly controversial. A lot of people were like, okay, I don't quite get it. But they really embraced uh, the simplicity. And I think it's a clever design as well because it's based on the vibrations of music. Um, and obviously you can see the shape of it as well. It's, it references a, a guitar, um, or at least the top part of the guitar. Um, and I just really like how they've extended their, their brand and, and how all their social media assets look. And, um, and their logo is, is almost like a, a brand pattern. Like they're, they're very close to each other. So if you look at how, how they present themselves on social media with photography and, um, and just the, the visual aesthetic, you can tell that it's all derived from this very simple mark, which is, which is their logo. So I'm a big fan of, of what they're doing. And I, you know, I admire, I admire that there would have been a lot of push for like, let's include everything, let's include every single Nashville reference. And they, I think it was done by Athletics of New York. And um, they, they really did, you know, they came up with something simple and it's proven to work. It really is. It's um, a logo is, is a symbol that, that represents it. It doesn't need to tell the whole story. The brand can tell the, the wider story. You know, and how you act and, and how the club is um, is portrayed every day will we'll, we'll tell that story. So the logo just needs to be the symbol. So keep it simple. I, I was just going to circle back to the 
to your story about uh, how, you know, the, the process for the, the Flower City Union. And one of the things I wanted to kind of point out to the, to the listeners is that, you know, like, I think there's a misconception when it comes to branding is that like, you know, we go into a lab or you go into a lab and you just kind of go away and do your work and voila, there's this beautiful brand. It's like the brand and the essence and what it should be kind of presents it's, if you do it the right way, kind of presents itself to you, right? You mentioned in your process, one of the things you heard, like you knew it was Flower City Union, but then you also you just kept hearing lilac, lilac, lilac. And it was like, well, yeah, it's going to be the lilac. And, and, and that's frankly, in my opinion, and I don't know, you may disagree, but that's the way that it, it should happen. It should happen organically rather than me coming up with all these different things um, and trying to make it fit into the brand as opposed to letting it kind of come up organically. And I, like I said, I, I, I just wanted to kind of interrupt, I'll let you get back to it, but I wanted to to, um, to kind of point that out to, to listeners who may not quite, you know, understand or maybe have as much experience with that um, and show that that's, that's the way that it should be done, you know? Yeah, no, it absolutely is. And it, but it's also, um, you listen to the fans and they were saying lilac, lilac, lilac. But then um, also in the back of my mind was the ownership group who, who stated from the start that they wanted this club to be like, super inclusive, like really optimistic, you know, just come off the back of a really tough year. And so this, um, we want this club to be like a beacon of positivity. And so the colours like purple and lilac, they, they're bright and they're optimistic. And, and, and we have the, the budding flowers within the design. And so if you, if you look at the design just next to the, uh, the, the principal part of the, the lilac, is these little kind of like budding things which are coming out and they represent the budding flowers. And that is just part of like what the ownership group wanted in terms of being super optimistic yeah so um, yeah no they do come out or like these brands are formed organically and it's definitely not as you say in a lab for three months <laughs> working independently and then voila um there's definitely a lot of collaboration between all parties yeah well i like what you were talking about with the nashville logo which i i think it got some mixed reactions initially but like you said, like there's, there's being so consistent and sustaining this over time that I think there's this evolution where it's, it is connecting with people. There is the less is more approach where it's, it's working. Um, it made me think of Juventus. They had their rebrand a number of years ago, which was very controversial because I I think their approach was really trying to emphasize a, a brand experience where a life being a lifestyle brand more than just a, a football club. What, what, what are your thoughts on, on how they did that and how they're managing their brand? Oh, it's amazing. Honestly, it's like, it's like, it was so bold at the time. I was like, Oh wow, that is, that is bold, but it's actually really intelligent, like super intelligent. If you look at it, because you might look at it and think, okay, well, simple means that it was done in five minutes, but it's definitely not the case, especially with Juventus. Because the more you look at it, the more you see. So obviously you have the uh, the J for Juventus in there. You also have the stripes. Juventus, like you think of uh, Juventus, you think of um, Del Piero wearing the stripes. You think of Zidane wearing the stripes. Um, all these these classic players and the, the, the stripes. That's what makes Juventus. Newcastle fans might argue that they own the black and white stripes, but Juventus, well, and Notts County as well, a team in England, who originally actually gave, uh, Notts County originally gave Juventus their stripes because they went over to Italy to play a friendly back in the day, a long time ago. Um, and Juventus apparently didn't have any kits or something like that. So Notts County gave them their, um, 
the black and white stripe kits to play a game and then they they adopted it ever since but yeah you when you think of Juventus you think of the stripes and that's that's included within the uh, the very very simple design of the Juventus logo but also you look really closely and you see a footballer kicking a ball like the the position of the J and then um, the top part of the J it just looks like a footballer getting ready to strike the ball and um yeah, I was a big fan when it first came out. It was obviously very controversial, especially with a lot of um, traditionalists. But I completely get where they're going with it. And it wasn't just the launch of their logo. Obviously, that was front and center. But they also had this uh, custom typography as well, which came with the logo, which was um, which took on some stylistic characteristics of, of what the logo has as well. So... Um, they did a really good job. A lot of photography in black and white. They're really embracing what is what is true to their brand, which is the black and white um, color scheme. And yeah, no, I just I loved it straight away. But I, I knew that it would be a split a, a split audience in terms of like, do we like this? Do we not? And I think most people will look at it now with the the gift of hindsight and go, oh, okay, all right, yeah, uh, they're they're more recognizable. I I know. Their logo, their new logo now more than I remember their old logo. And I don't know, that one's so fascinating to me because can you imagine a Liverpool or Man United where you have so much equity in something that's so recognizable? And Juventus had that, yeah. but they, they said, we're going to be really forward looking to create this identity that uh, transcends just what's on the pitch, I guess, the, the lifestyle, yeah. the brand experience stuff. And they, they just committed to it top to bottom. And uh, I think it, it seems to be paying dividends. Maybe this is a good question to tie everything together and, and wrap things up, Chris, is what do you think are the keys to building a modern scalable brand? Juventus um, committing to that. Um, what are universal principles that you think are really important for any club or brand to consider? I think you've got to um, obviously listen to the fans. We spoke a lot about that. Um, listening to the fans is, is very important. Make sure it's representative of the place and the people that the, um, the club represents, you know. Uh, but at the same time, simplicity as well. Simplicity in, especially when we're, we're talking about the design of the logo, definitely go for um, as simple as you can make it. There's a, there's a fine balance between getting enough kind of references to make it stand out and make it be um, unique, but you also need to keep it pretty simple and, and let, let the wider brand tell, tell, tell the story, you know? Um, and that's another principle as well, story, storytelling. Storytelling within the brand, like the visual language of the brand, like how does it, how does it reference the place in the community. Uh, just a quick example, I work with a team in England called Eastleigh. Uh, this is the place where the Spitfire was manufactured and, um, and invented. And the community are very proud of that. I'm really, really proud of the fact that um, that was the, the birthplace of the Spitfire. It's considered um, um, an engineering uh, feat by, by the, the local community and, and the rest of England as well. So we when when we was going for the rebrand of Eastleigh, then their nickname is the the Spitfires because that's where the place the place where the Spitfires came from. And with that, we created uh, a custom typography, custom typeface for the club, which is based on the markings on the side of a Spitfire. 
Um, and so that's just a little bit of what, what I'm referencing when I'm talking about telling a story with your brand and um, creating a visual language. So that would be another um, go-to for me. Um, passion as well. Passion, like make sure, make sure you care about it as well because one of the reasons why I got into um, football brand design is, the, is because I care about it. And I, I, I feel as if I, I, I am in many ways embodying uh, the, the fans of the club because I'm a football fan myself. I understand the emotions of supporting a, a football team. And so I got into it because I didn't, I, I really wanted to fuse my two passions. One is design and the other one is, um, is, is, is football. And so by creating brands for football clubs, I was able to do that. And so this isn't something that, that people can adopt. I think it's just something that comes naturally. If it's just part of you, like football is part of me. Each and every design that I do is, is like fueled by passion and fueled by um, desire to, to, to work hard and do the best and give the club the best, best possible chance of being successful with their brand. So, um, so yeah, that would be one of the, the key go-tos for that. Chris, fantastic stuff. I've loved this conversation. I think a lot of nuggets in there for what it takes to, to build a modern uh, brand in football and, and in business from the visual identity to, to building the brand experience. So thanks for walking us through your process, uh, your insights, and, and some of your background. That was fantastic. Of course. No, thanks for having me. That's it for this edition of Solving for B. If you enjoyed the episode, check out more of Chris's work at footballbranddesigner.com or follow him on Twitter at Chris Y Payne, C-H-R-I-S-Y-P-A-Y-N-E. And check out brandextract.com for more content from our team about all things branding and marketing. Thanks again for tuning in to Solving for Bees.